if you want to succeed, you have to take risks. Mm. And wow. it was a completely opposite end of the spectrum yeah. conversation. He was like, if you want to go and ruffle some feathers <laughs> in Rio, we need to take some risks. And are you prepared? And he's like, I'm okay if you just want to go and get the tracksuit. Yeah. But you've got to make that decision for yourself. And I was like, let's go ruffle some feathers. Yes. <laughs> How do we become our best and live a life of meaning and purpose? In a world where the constant focus is on fixing what's wrong with us, we want to highlight what is right and good about you to help you live out your best every day. Hi, I'm Eloise Wellings. And I'm Rory Darkins. And this is What's Right Within. Eloise, I've got a little surprise for you. I've actually organised our very first guest. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Who is about to enter into the conversation um and so i thought that there's no better way to launch this podcast with our very first guest being none other than eloise wellings <laughs> <laughs> um, <okay. laughs> so oh, gosh. yeah the yes. tables are turning Surprise. quite <laughs> quite literally um so this very first episode is or is actually we're going to shine the light on you and explore your journey to becoming who you are today and who you're looking to to become in the future and how you're growing and, and expressing your purpose and potential. And so, Eloise, welcome right. to what... <laughs> welcome to what's right. Well, I'm welcoming myself. Welcome to your own That's podcast. <laughs> Oh, thanks for having me. Um, I, I've just I've wanted for so long just to be on this podcast. Yeah, no. <laughs> Go right ahead. So, Eloise. Rory. I know a lot about you and your story, but um, it's it's one that every time I hear you speak about what you've experienced and what you're about, like it feels like the first time I've heard it, um, and that it doesn't lose its impact and. Um, when you share your journey, people people really lean in, and they um, they get a, a real feeling of hope for themselves about what's possible for them. And I thought it would be a great way to start this podcast journey by telling our audience a little bit about the background, uh, your background, and where you have come from. And so, how old were you when? you first dreamt of running for Australia? I was 10 years old. I was watching the Barcelona Olympics on television. I was watching my um, coach's now wife, Sonia Sullivan, run around in the 3K, uh, the women's 3,000 metres, which is no longer a, an Olympic distance. It moved up to the 5,000. Um, anyways, details. <laughs> but that... Uh, I was watching that and I was just completely so inspired by what I was seeing. Um, and I remember saying to my mum and dad, I'm, I'm going to do that one day. And, you know, my mum was a runner. My uncles were really good runners. And so I had, you know, I had it, I guess it was in the family. It was in, I guess, in my genes. And um, I, you know, my mum used to go running with a, with a group called the Billy's Bushies. Uh, 
you know, a couple of times a week and I'd, I'd follow her up there as a six-year-old, you know, as old as my daughter Indy is now and um, go running on the trail and I'd just try and keep up with them for as long as I could and then I'd turn around and run home. And, yeah, they were, they were kind of my earliest memories of running. Yeah, and when you had that first moment of realisation that, like, hey, this is something I, I want to do and I'm going to do one day, like, what do you remember that feeling like? I remember feeling really excited about the prospect that, you know, I, I believed that I started to imagine that and visualise that that could be me mm. one day. And, you know, from then on, like things escalated quickly from there. I started building podiums in my room out of yellow pages and encyclopedias and I had the national anthem and I'd stand up on the top spot and sing it out with my hand on heart. And I used to pretend that I was Bruce McAvaney and and commentate um, as if he was calling me running a race and winning the Olympics. And I'd use the same sort of language that he used, you know, calling um, Kieran Perkins home in the, the 1500 metres at the Atlanta Olympics and, you know, Kathy Freeman at the 2000 Olympics and all of those subsequent Olympics after the Barcelona, the first one that I watched on television, I was recording and um, going over in my mind and, in you know, in my room, in my bedroom, what it would be like if I was actually running and they were calling my name and saying, Eloise, you know, and I was Eloise Poppet at the time, which was my maiden name, Poppet, Poppet, screaming down the home straight, you know, just like starting to completely visualise that uh, that was, that was going to be my bit. Mm, That's, that's so powerful, like to have such a clear, vision so young and to generate such rich imagery and you literally ran that race countless times before it became a reality um, reality. and and so if we go from what was it eight years old ten ten years old so ten years old you fast forward to your teenage years what was what were they like for you they were challenging i mean i was running really well in my teenage years. I had a great local coach, Rod Arnold, who's just a, a great man. But I started to I started to suffer from an eating disorder uh, when I was thirteen, and you know it's now seen as a, as a mental illness. And yeah, and I guess I started to struggle with those thoughts that you know the lighter the better, and um, as an athlete, but also. I had really struggled with um, thoughts of, I guess, worthlessness as a as a teenager. You know, uh, running was who I was, and you know, without it, it I was a nobody. And and so I started to struggle uh, and and try and control, you know, food, and 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 that was that was a real struggle for a number of years. And uh, when I was sixteen, I qualified for the Sydney Olympics. And I ran 15, 18. I ran, yeah, the qualifying time. and That's um, for five kilometres. That's for five kilometres. That was my first 5K on the track. So I wasn't, I didn't really expect to run that fast. Um, I knew that I was in really good shape and I thought that I'd, I, I hoped that I'd be able to qualify for, for Sydney at some point, but I didn't realise it would happen in the first one. And I guess it's, sometimes it's easier 
to run really well in your first the first time you do something because you don't have anything else to compare it to mm. you'll probably unpack the the psychology of that rory but like i think that i i think that a lot of time when you go in with no expectations it's actually easier to just be free and run as fast as you can and and i think that that's what happened that night is that like nobody was expecting anything i wasn't really expecting anything i hoped that in the back of my mind i would run you know fast but running an olympic standard was it was so so exciting but then 10 days later i i was diagnosed my, with my first stress fracture and basically told that i wasn't gonna be able to run in the olympics and what's like help us to understand like what that feels like when you've you've literally just realized your childhood dream you're 16 and then it's taken away 10 days later yeah it was it was really really tough i remember just being really 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 down and you know i kind of shut myself i really shut myself out from all of my friends and um i didn't want to talk to anyone and i wanted to um i just wanted to be alone and and you know i as i said like i felt like i'd lost lost really lost my identity um because i was injured and you know i really took a lot of worth and value in what i did rather than in who i was and so when running was taken away and it wasn't there anymore yeah i felt like what's you know who am i and that was a yeah that was a pertinent question at the time (laughs) Yeah, and it's it's a really pertinent question. I want to come back to that. But when you when you share this even now, like, what do you feel now? Is there emotion to it still in terms of? Um, yeah, I mean, and I guess that's why uh, every time I do a podcast, I get a vulnerability hangover. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, looking back, I think, oh, you know, like I have a faith and. Um, I just believe God just had a plan that that whole time and, and, and still does. And, you know, I think even though it was one of the most challenging things I've ever been through, especially as a teenager when you're still trying to find out, find who you are and where you, you, you know, your place in the world and, um, you know, it was definitely a tumultuous time. Like it was, I was about to do my HSC and, you know, I'd made plans to do that over two years because, you know, I was going to be going to the Olympics and, you know, um, so there was no way I was going to be able to do my HSC at the same time. So all of those things, um, you know, I'd made decisions based around running and then all of a sudden I couldn't run anymore. And so, yeah, it was really difficult. It was just all part of, you know, a bigger plan and um, it definitely helped me discover who I who I truly am and it set a foundation for the years to come of more injuries and more challenges but I don't think any was as hard as that one because mm. um, just being so young and obviously the Sydney Olympics were basically in my backyard yeah and so you said about it, it helped you to learn about who you are mm-hmm. and you know that separation between who you are and what you do like we're looking back on that period of your life 
like what did you learn about who you are once i found that faith um you know i never looked back because i i realized that even without anything that i do i am still valued and i'm still worthy because of jesus and i think that 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 was a game changer because that then enabled me or empowered me to be able to overcome disordered eating and um you know release control over over that side of things and and go okay i know who i am and don't get me wrong it still took six years to overcome that stuff but it was a gentle process of reminding myself who god had made you know made me to be and yes I'd been given the gift of, you know, being able to run fast and, and run well. Um, but it's not all that I am, mm. you know, it's something that I do and something that I love to do and something that I know that God is still calling me to do. And, but it's not who I am, you know, it's not where I find my worth and my value. I'm still trying to be the best athlete that I can be. I'm still, you know, I, I'm still, striving and, and and training hard and I still want to win desperately yeah. when I line up in a race and when I don't there is a, a bit of a process a grieving process <laughs> yeah, yeah, you yeah. might say but it's not a process that lingers I don't I no longer dwell on disappointing races for too long um for you know for an extended period and allow them to, you know, allow it to affect my self-worth. Mm. Initially, there's a, a process, as I say, like the grieving process of going, okay, that didn't work out <laughs> yeah. the way that I'd hoped. And, you know, um, I can think of many, many races that I've had to go through that process and go, okay, that didn't go well. And being, being totally real and honest, you know, that, that I'm, I don't want it to go, oh, yeah, but, you know, you tried hard. Um, <laughs> um, and that's good too. It's obviously really important to try, but it's also really important to be real and authentic and go, you know what, at race, I, that was pretty terrible. Mm. But that's okay because I'm going to get up and I'm going to move on and I'm going to try and make the next one better. Mm. And I think not denying the fact that you're disappointed is good, yeah. you know, and they didn't compete well or, you know, a meeting didn't go well or a presentation mm. didn't go well. I think that it's okay to just call it like it is yeah. and then be able to learn from it and move on to the next one and allow it to to help you grow and, and, and make you stronger. That's, um, gee, hitting on so much gold there in terms of the way you choose to respond to disappointment. And I think you touched on some really key points there with like, it's about you, you do need to fully feel the disappointment, mm. you know, but then it's what you choose to do with that pain, yeah. you know, and it sounds like you kind of repurpose the pain of disappointment into something that moves you forward. Like when I say that, what, like, what comes to mind for you? Like how, what, how do you take a disappointment, be in it? and then choose to, to move forward in a, in a way that moves you towards what matters to you. 
Yeah, I think it's got a lot. It's got a lot to do with the way I think about it. And you know, a lot of the times I've gone into a race just with it, the wrong mental game, and or a, a mental game that's not going to serve me in in the heat of the moment. And um, did you like the way I just used the growth mindset? Very good, very good. You're taking. Uh, I've got a little notebook here. I'm just doing ticks and crosses. Um, got a couple of ticks there. Yeah, good. So you know, there's times where I've I've been within a race and my mental game is definitely not serving me. You know, my I'm unraveling, <laughs> and and I think you know making a a conscious decision. Um, post-race that that is not happening in Mm. the next race, almost getting a bit angry about it and going, what the heck just happened in my next race? This is what I'm going to be thinking. This is how I'm going to respond to moments like this should they come up again Mm. Um, and just using those. And and I think self-reflection is just so incredibly important, Mm. not just as an athlete, but, you know, as as in so many other areas of my life within, within relationships as well and and going, okay, how could I have handled that conversation better or how could I have handled that situation better and then going, okay, you know, yes, acknowledging the stuff up or acknowledging the mistake um, because I'm human and I'm not perfect yeah. um, and, and then going, okay, well, this is how, you know, I can learn from this and this is how I can be use more wisdom next time and that's what I'm going to do. And then, you know, the next race all of a sudden becomes this freeing opportunity to thrive rather than a threat of, you know, stuffing up again Mm. um, because you haven't given yourself the grace to reflect on what, what went wrong or you're afraid of knowing what went wrong because you're afraid of not being able to fix it. I don't know. Mm. You're the psyche work that out. But but I'm like, um, That's kind of what's helped me most. And I haven't nailed it each time. Like there have there has been times where I've gone, I don't I don't even want to think about that mm. that result or I don't even want to think about that conversation again or whatever. And so you qualified but didn't get to compete at the um, Sydney Olympics. And then the next four years you know, you were pursuing your Olympic dreams still. Mm-hmm. And what were the what what was that like for you? So four years later was the Athens Olympics. Yeah, again, I was measured for the uniform and selected for the Shadow Olympic team, which is a team that they they choose to in an acknowledgement that they're hoping that you'll make the team and that you know you've got a really good chance of making mm-hmm. the team. It's almost like a squad. Yeah, uh, and then. Yeah, but I got another stress fracture and um, missed out on Athens as well. Uh, and then, yeah, four years later, exactly the same thing happened for, for Beijing. And, yeah, it was at that point that I that I wanted to give up. I never felt or never actually voiced the fact that I wanted to quit running. And But at that point, yeah, I, was, I said to Johnny, I'm, I'm done. I <laughs> can't. I'm done maybe I should do another sport maybe I should I don't know put my energy into something else like I felt like I was giving running so much and you know all of my energy all of my um, passion and ambitiousness was going into one thing only to 
fail like time and time again at the you know the one thing that I really wanted to do was mm. was become an Olympian and run um you know I guess you could call it the the pinnacle of of, of sport um or of Olympic sport mm. that's for sure so 2008 you miss out on your third consecutive Olympics where you've been so close to realizing that dream you had when you were 10 and why didn't you quit uh johnny (laughs) johnny uh he he just said we just had this one very short but so fruitful conversation he just said you still love it and i'm like yeah but you know like i hate what it does you know i hate the feeling that i get i hate injury he's like yeah but you still love to run and i was like yeah and he was like well you've got two decisions you know you've been invited over to portland to go and try and rehab your foot and um but you could you could stay here you could stay here and do your time do your six to eight weeks you know, which is how long a stress fracture takes to heal. Hobble around on crutches around home. Have have a rest. Give you give yourself a rest. But he, and then he's like, or oh, you could you could go to Portland and and just be curious and and discover. You know, potentially maybe things will turn a corner. Like what if what if they do? And what if you know what if this anti gravity treadmill allows you to to train on your foot and you know, all of a sudden you find yourself in really good shape and you you are able to make the Olympics. And I think it's just, it was just this moment of like, he still believes Mm. that that's a chance. And so then it, you know, there's a flow on effect of that for me. It's like, well, somebody else still believes. So, Um, and somebody obviously incredibly important in, you know, my life. So I was like, well... Of course, I'm going to have a go. If there's a chance, yeah, I'll have a go. Yeah, but I just needed someone to tell me that there was still a chance. Yeah, even if it was a one in a million. Yeah, yeah. And Portland. So you went to Portland. That was a significant period of time for you, wasn't it? Like, tell us what happened when you got over there. Yeah, yeah. So I met Julius H on. Um, who who is or was a Ugandan athlete, and he was staying in the same house um, over in Portland. I was um, sponsored by a big American shoe brand at the time, and they had a house there that international athletes could come and base from. And Julius was in the house, and I we became immediate friends. We just uh, had the same sense of humor, and we just got along um, really well. And from the get go, and he asked me about my foot, and I was super honest with him. I just said to him, "Look, I don't know what I'm doing here. I this will be the third Olympics that I'll miss, and." it's I'm discouraged I was you know I can't see myself getting back in 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 12 weeks time to make it to the Olympics and he said if I told if I told you my story and where I've come from and what I've been through your foot problem here would become very small (laughs) and uh, 
<laughs> and wow. yeah, I would say, oh, okay. <laughs> How did you feel in that moment? Like, tell, like, oh, I just felt like something had dropped. Mm. Like, I felt like, oh, he's gonna. There is. He's got a wild, wild story, mm. and I just started to lean in, mm. and um. It was, and way more wild than I than I even mm. expected. Captured when he was twelve years old and being forced to be a child soldier and held at a rebel camp for three months, and finally saw his chance to escape. And he ran for his life with fifteen other boys, and and they were shot at, and nine of the boys um, were were killed, and six of them survived, and and one of them was Julius, and. He made it home walking for three days to his family and was he was desperate to get an education, but his family couldn't afford to send him to school. His parents couldn't afford the school fees. So, um, But he heard that if he became a great runner, then you could potentially um, get a scholarship to go to school, and that's what happened. Wow. He became an incredible runner. And, and to cut his story really short, he ended up competing for Uganda, captaining the Ugandan Olympic team in the 1500 metres at the Atlanta Olympics and the Sydney Olympics. He made the semi-final in both. He held the NCAA record uh, for the 800 up until about two years ago it was broken. Yeah, and anyway, he, at the time when I met Julius, he was caring for 11 orphans that he, he'd found living underneath a bus in the height of the war in Uganda. And he was sending most of his wage home um, that he was earning from Nike, pacing, you know, athletes like Galen Rupp and, uh, and Kara Goucher and, um, you know, all these great American athletes. Uh, but he was sending most of his wage home to care for his family and these orphans that he'd, he had found in the height of the war. And, Anyway, we, Johnny and I became really good friends with him and um, we, we ended up going to him and his wife, um, his now wife, Grace's wedding with our parents-in-law over to Uganda a few months after, after meeting him. And I didn't end up making it to the Beijing Olympics, but there was so much more going mm. on than, um, than just, I guess, me running and and. and trying to make it the, to the Olympics again. It was, I think everything changed and I, I, I definitely found perspective mm. in Julius's story. And yeah, and through that, we, we, we began the Love Mercy Foundation to, to help people get back on their feet after the war and run sustainable um, projects. I met Caitlin Barrett, our CEO, our founding CEO, and, and, and we got it started. And so the Love Mercy Foundation started out of that meeting of Julius mm. in, um, in the USA when you're pursuing trying to make it to that to the Beijing Olympics and you didn't make it but out of that came such an incredible um, direction that did you see that coming like did you see yourself starting no, a, a not-for-profit no. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh I am so embarrassed to say I didn't even know where Uganda was on the map, yeah. on a map, like before I met Julius. And, you know, I'm no, I did not expect to start a non-for-profit. Um, it's just been such a wild journey and such a such a privilege. Honestly, when I 
when I get to share this story and I am, I get emotional and I get uh, so grateful for um, the journey and so grateful that I can use what I love to do running as a vehicle, I guess, to, to bring light to um, the plight of, mm. of people that we are working alongside in Uganda. And I'm like, that, that to me is humbling and, yeah, such a privilege. You know, such a theme from what you've just shared is about, you know, this isn't about you doing it alone, you know. This isn't about you pursuing mm-hmm. your ambition solo independently you know you do an individual sport but there's there's this fabric of people we've woven through every aspect of what you do and why you do it and just for for those who aren't as familiar with your your story what is what has love mercy foundation done in the last 10 years since you know 10 or 10 plus years since you founded it with julius so our probably our main focus now is the, is the sense for seeds program and and the clinic. Um, so we were, we were able to help fund um, the Christina Health Clinic, which was um, built in honor of Julius's mother, who was as tragically shot um, during the war, and um, and yeah, we've been able to uh, yeah help fund that and then we after the the tragic death of of jim fee who um who helped construct the building um we took over operations of that and the clinic right we run uh, our team over there run outreach programs um within the community around hiv and, and sanitation and maternity outreach programs family planning and um, things like that. And then we also have our maternity ward. Uh, we've had 663 babies being safely delivered um, in that maternity space. Um, we have five trained, um, incredible midwives where women can come and, and give birth in, yeah, and be cared for. And, um, you know, prior to that, women were giving birth at home or on the side of the road, trying desperately to get to the nearest government hospital, which is 72 kilometers away. So the, the maternity space especially has been incredibly rewarding in terms of the amount of lives saved and lives um, changed um, through that process. And it costs $50 to to donate a birthing kit. Um, it costs $50 to, to, um, to basically from from go to woe, the, the process of um, delivering a baby safely into the world um, with, yeah, the payment of the wages for the midwives through to the costs of, you know, the materials that you, that you need. And so, yeah, really exciting stuff happening. Sense for Seeds is our um, farming program that we run primarily with women. This year, um, the plan was before COVID, <laughs> Uh, was to distribute 17,800 loans. Um, we started with 100 women in 2010. Um, so the, the program has just grown so much um, during that time. And so hoping for special dispensation in May to distribute um, 
those loans, those 17,800 loans for this year's season. And it's incredibly important that they get those loans because it's what they use to be able to thrive and use as a food source, Mm. basically. The 30-kilogram loan of seeds turns into 300 kilograms um, plus of of food and of crops that they, they can eat and sell and um, use it to to create their own livelihood and to break that cycle of poverty. So we're really hoping that that happens. And again, it's such a small amount of money. Thirty dollars will sponsor a woman to go through the Sense for Seeds program and completely sustainable program. They hand back the loan at the end of the season so that we can pass it on to another woman. And and that was the you know the brainchild of our CEO Caitlin Barrett. And um, yeah, it's genius. just yeah, right. it is. It's a hundred percent genius. Yeah. And yeah, and it's empowering. It's yeah. empowering. It's it's taking away the need to sponsor individual children to go to school because it's empowering the family to create their own livelihood so that they can actually pay for their own children's school fees. And I mean, there's such a need all over the world. It's There's definitely a need to sponsor individual children in, in certain cases, but when there's a family unit, um, we found that is that it is so sustainable and there's such a long-term effect and impact. Yeah. Did I hear that it's been so successful that some families like aren't even or yeah? So we graduated. Anymore? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we graduated uh, one of our villages, which is really exciting. Whole village. <laughs> oh. uh, so 450 women um, graduated in March this year. We discovered through the surveys um, that we ran that they are, they're doing great now and they are completely self-sustaining and independent and, um, and they're going to do just fine without our help. And so that we, you know, and that in itself means that we can move on to other areas of need. If we just go back to 2008, through to you know you decided to persevere and after you met Julius and started the Love Mercy Foundation what happened from there like in terms of um, of running like you're still um, pursuing the Olympics yeah I mean I didn't to after 2008 I was quite um I didn't really know whether I wanted to compete anymore I was managing to put it together in between Olympic years. I was making Commonwealth Games and World Cross Country and um, those these other events. But for some reason, every time an Olympic year came around, I was, you know, I would get injured. And so, yeah, I decided that I would just take 12 months just to jog mm-hmm. and just to run. And I would run four times a week. Um, with my younger brother, sometimes my older brother as well. And towards the end of the year, uh, Nick messaged me and said, you know. This is your coach. Yeah, how how are you going? (laughs) And I said, yeah, you know, I've just been jogging around. And he said, what do you think about running Zetapec? And I was like, oh, like I haven't done any workouts. So this was in October. Hmm. Um, that year and um, and and Zadipik was going to be in December and so he said well you know if you've been running then you've you you should have a reasonable base and so let's just do some workouts and you know you don't have to 
you don't have to go out and win it. You can just run it and see if you get a feel for and taste for competition again and see if you still want to do this. Um, and it was going to be my first 10K on the track. So, again, no expectation, mm-hmm. very little expectation. And, um, and yeah, so Zadapet came around. Yeah, I did eight weeks' worth of workouts and Zadapet came around and, and I won. And I was, I was <laughs> so like, this is the national 10K yeah, titles. the national, yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and... Yeah, that was really exciting. And that was a huge eye-opener for me because, you know, all of this time prior to then, I always thought that I had, from a very young age, I always thought that I had to do more than everyone else. Mm. I always thought that I couldn't rely on natural talent. I had, it had to be effort, effort, effort. And I realised that year just by, you know, running and running easy and running free and being liberated from having a major goal that that wasn't the case that I could I didn't have to train as hard as I thought I did to be good mm. that's the that's the main that's what Massive I'm trying to say lesson and, and so so counterintuitive of course because yeah yeah and don't get me wrong like we I mean I still train very, very hard and yeah. we, and it's just, I didn't, I was overreaching. Mm. I was continuously straining and I wasn't making good decisions mm. um, on behalf of my body. I would ignore the way my body was feeling in order to get what was done on paper yeah. done so that I could tick that box and go, yeah, mm. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to, um, you know, I should be, I should be good now because I've ticked that I've ticked all the boxes, but it's not the way it works. You've got to be free enough and you've got to use wisdom to listen to your body. And so you made, you made it to the Olympics. You're a two-time I Olympian. I made it. Tell us about those two. <laughs> like the story gets, it, it, it's so rich and full of like, challenges and heartbreak and disappointment and then purpose and then you achieve your childhood vision Mm. i think starting love mercy was was really big for that because it took my focus off just trying to prove myself through running um, and just trying to prove to myself that I was good enough to make the Olympics and realize this childhood dream. And it was, it became more about, I can, you know, I've been given the opportunity to, to run and to, to use that as a, as a ways to, to shed light on, on these people's stories. Mm. And so the perspective shifted mm. and, um, I think that that helped me mm. because I was able to then be freed up a little bit to make good decisions about training and not yeah. go, you know, oh, if I don't make this one, then, you know, who am I? Or, mm. um, yeah, it was more about working together with, with Julius and with Katie um, to kind of grow this organisation and do what we could. And, and my role was was to run and so almost I had more responsibility but I felt free by that and so London was amazing and I mean the 
I was still super anxious, like mm. in the lead up. I remember, you know, in the month before having a conversation with Johnny and, um, you know, I got home from training and I was really emotional and I'm, I was, you know, every pain in my body, like I was, I was feeling like every, I was jumping at like shadows basically. And he just said, you know, you have worked so for so long and so hard to, to get to this moment, you're three weeks out, you're going, like, you're yeah. going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're going to the Olympics and don't allow fear and anxiety to rob you of the joy mm. that can come from this moment. And then I was just like... Wise words. Oh, I know. Johnny, he's, <laughs> he's a wise guy. And so, yeah, I was, you know, and it was definitely a daily decision. It wasn't just a, you know, Johnny says something and something clicks over. Mm. But it, he, you know, he does say something that's weighty like that and I can re- recall it each day and go, yeah, that's right, I've got to make a decision. It was still a decision that I had to make mm. to, to go, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to, in this moment, I'm going to the Olympics mm. and I'm going to enjoy that and I'm going to take joy in that and, you know, what a journey it's been and, and I was incredibly emotional and nervous lining up and it, so much to the detriment of my performance. <laughs> and I laugh about it now because it, who cares? Um, <laughs> um, because I was there, yeah. you know. And, you know, we, we had my coach Nick and I had a conversation, you know, earlier that year at the beginning of the year and he said, you know, we're not going to train as hard as we have done before because I know how much this means to you to actually just make the starting line. Mm. And if you don't make the starting line, it's, it, um, it could be your future in the sport Mm. on the line. Mm. And so we're going to cut 30% of your, your training out, your mileage, and we're not going to do any of your second runs and, um, you know, you can cross train to, to, to try and make up for that. And so I was reasonably fit. Like I was, uh, but I I had made decisions around training that would get me to the starting line, not to be in the best shape in my life. Mm. Um, but in order to to be there and to experience it, and I think there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that London set me up for being able to perform how I knew I could in in four years later in Rio, because that's when we did take risks. Mm. Four years later, I had another conversation with him, and he said if you want to succeed, you have to take risks. Mm. And wow. it was a completely opposite end of the spectrum yeah. um, conversation. He was like, if you want to go and ruffle some feathers <laughs> in Rio, we need to take some risks. And are you prepared? And he's like, I'm okay if you just want to go and get the tracksuit. Yeah. But <laughs> you've got to make that decision for yourself. And I was like, Let's go ruffle some yes. <laughs> tell, tell me about that decision. So what, what was that? That sounds like it was an easy decision well, for you to it say. Was, it was, well, because I'd already, I'd already ticked the box of becoming, you know, going to the Olympics and becoming mm. an Olympian. And um, so it was easy for me to go, all right, well, let's just go and see now what I can do mm. there. Like, let's just go and see how, what my body, what my limits are, what my body is capable of and we went we went stupid um 
and I'd had, you know, four more years of, of training under my belt. I hadn't been injured in four years. And um, so I'd had, you know, a really big base. And so I wasn't necessarily as fragile as mm. I, you know, I was robust by then yeah. um, to be able to deal with the training that I knew he was going to give me if I was prepared mm. to take those risks. And we did. And it finally paid off, you know, mm. finally, finally I thought, well, I've been rewarded for for effort and yeah. it was amazing it was the most incredible experience to be able to perform and i mean i didn't i don't know how many other feathers i ruffled yeah at the rio olympics but i loved ruffling my own yeah. you know like i just loved being out there and knowing that i'd put everything in and it had worked out i could mm. i could stand on the starting line injury free and i was going to be able to go and see what i was capable of on the biggest stage and there's so much in that, but the ruffling of, fe- of your own feathers and, and it sounds like that really means seeing what is possible, mm. seeing what you're capable of. What did it take to actually do that? Because it's kind of easy to say, like, yeah, I'm going to go see what's possible. Yeah. But to actually do it, like, what does that, what does it take? It was so much about just enjoying it and having fun. We'd put in so, like, I trained harder than I'd ever had. Mm in the in the final six weeks and now it was just about enjoying being out there in front of my family and and friends who'd supported me so much and just going here we go yeah obviously um with the olympics the tokyo olympics being postponed um for another 12 months it does give me a little bit more time um to prepare and to try and qualify for those games which would be amazing but yeah right now we were meant to be in in flagstaff i was meant to be in flagstaff with susan crummins and genevieve and um camille buscombe and um but yeah we're at home in lockdown and just you know trying to make sense of everything and just trying to adapt yeah (laughs) and find the find the new normal as they say but yeah I know you've got to go and feed Sunny. Yes. Um, which is far more important than uh, any conversation we could have. But just before, just as we as we wrap up, like, are you ready for Rory's rap? Uh, oh, I thought we weren't doing Rory's rap <laughs> this first time. Oh. You said we weren't. Uh, but it's also a surprise. So uh, <laughs> you're going to use Sunny as an excuse now to get out of Rory's rap. Totally. Um, but you. Go and feed Sunny, and then we'll do Rory's rap later. Okay. Yeah, all good. <laughs> good job. Shall we hit pause? Yeah. So, Eloise, before we get to Rory's rap for today, a couple of quick hit questions. So, firstly, where does confidence come from for you? Uh, credible self-talk. <laughs> that, have you heard me say that before? <laughs> I think I have. <laughs> um, no, I, I believe it. Credible self-talk is, I mean, it's incredibly important to, um, you know, to believe what you're telling yourself and mm. it, that it's true and that it's right and that it's good and that's what gives you true confidence. And so with that, where do you, how do you kind of earn that ability to believe it? You know, like what is the, what's the credible part of self-talk for you? Uh, the credible part is where you find your value. Mm. and um and who you know yourself to be and for me that's 
um, that's all wrapped up in uh, my faith and mm. who I know God has made me to be. Yeah. What's passion to you? Like what, when you think of the word passion and what your, where passion comes from for you, like what is, what is it for you that? I think passion is where joy and ambitiousness collide. You like <laughs> Did you like that? That, <laughs> that wasn't I'm, from you. I'm stealing that. <laughs> um, that's all I have to say about my. That's, <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. So and and so for you, yeah. Tell us what's the joy you you talked a lot about the love of running and running for the, for the love of it. Is that what? What's the joy in running for you? Uh, the, so the visual I have of that is 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 leaning into pain and finding joy in that and you know f- going in a you know finding a, a workout challenging but leaning into it and going yes this is what I love to do this is what I was you know this is what I was born to do mm. and this is what I'm leaning into and um you know this is what I'm good at and I'm leaning into that and I'm, you know, I'm good at feeling this pain and I'm, and I'm, um, this is why I do it, um, to challenge myself and to grow. And it's the only way that you can grow is through pain. And so taking joy in that and, um, and then the ambitiousness part is, is the lean in and the, the yes, I've got this, um, and the, um, you know, come on, you can do this yeah, awesome. sort of talk. Awesome. And that's a perfect segue into my next question, which is about purpose. Uh-huh. And so, like, what gives you purpose? I feel like there's there's so many aspects to that, eh? Like, yeah. it's why do you do it? What are you searching for? It's what makes it worthwhile. And then there's various things that you do as well, right? So it's not running like let's start with what gives running purpose uh i mean what we do for love mercy gives running obvious purpose to me but aside from that it it allows me just for just complete selfish and personal reasons it allows me time to clear my head and to relax and to breathe and to you know, think about and reflect on other areas of life and um, and gain wisdom and it allows me time with God and um, and to be able to pray and, and, and hear from God at times and um, it allows me silence as well, like um, especially when you're not there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, yeah, so, you know, I think that that this purpose in that there's there's practical purpose in that like I think it's amazing for for mental health mm. does running make you a better person I think it does mm. I used to not want to say that yeah. because I'm, I didn't want to use running as a crutch to be a better person yeah. but I actually think it just does yeah. and I have to I've come to the realization that I've just you know it's true so mm. I've got to accept that I feel like I'm a better mum, I'm a better wife, I'm a better friend um, because I'm able to go and clear my head and I've 
being empowered, I guess, to be able to chase after goals in running. And that's that makes me a better person to I because I feel like I've got like a, a certain amount of ambitiousness that I need to release in some facet of life and running allows me to do that and that makes me a better person mm. yeah and I think that's that's a really important point because so often I notice people have this tension between what seems selfish like oh this is in my own interest this is what I want to achieve that that, that your own strivings versus being there for other people and and the um so it's kind of like the self versus other thing. Mm-hmm. But the research that is just so clear that our greatest purpose in life comes when comes from us realizing our potential and contributing the best of ourselves to others. Mm-hmm. And you know, so the more that we invest in ourselves and our ability and, and the, the things that are really resonate with us so for you running is a big part of that um obviously the more you really honestly pursue your potential the Mm -hmm. more you've got to give to others Mm -hmm. um and so i I think true purpose is where those two collide you know it's like the best version of yourself meets how you can contribute that to the people around you on the journey towards um you know, towards revealing what's possible for you. So, you know, it's, I, I just want people at home to really, um, if there's something within you that you feel like you want to pursue, but you're not sure whether like you have the right <laughs> to, to explore it mm. um, because it's, it's your own thing. Like think about how, by becoming the best version of yourself, you can actually contribute more to the people in the world around you. And therefore, everyone wins. You know, to me, that's what it's about. My purpose isn't about making yourself less yeah. <laughs> in service of others. Like, yeah. you got so much more to give when your cup is overflowing. Yeah. All right. Okay, so next quick hit. What does the word vulnerability mean to you? Hangover. <laughs> and like are we talking alcoholic hangover or a difference with a hangover oh no um i'm terrible with alcohol also um as in i can't drink very much without being embarrassing no vulnerability it means courage and um it means showing up and it means showing up as your true self and being okay with that yeah and um actually you don't have to be okay with that it just means doing it anyway (laughs) being afraid of something and doing it anyway yeah having having fear and um and you know continuing on anyway Mm. and just because you know that that's the right direction to go in and i think that um yeah that's vulnerability to me is is yeah, having the courage to to feel fear and and continue on anyway. Hey, Sonny in the background. <laughs> hey, boy. He's being looked after right, just right. for those who's <laughs> 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 he's being cared for. Awesome. So Eloise, it's time for Roy's rap. Roy's rap. Yeah. Great. 
Firstly, thanks for sharing so honestly about your story, Eloise, your, your journey in expressing your potential as a runner, um, I think has so much to, to give to our listeners and to myself and to the world because, you know, it sounds like you had this vision, you had such a clear vision when you were really young and you had the courage to believe it. And I, I think that, you know, having the courage to dream and to, to bet on yourself that you're, yeah, I, I'm going to do that one day. You know, that, that childlike mind where you're 10 years old and you think anything's possible and you just tell people about it and you go for it. Like that is so gold <laughs> that um, I think we can all, benefit from connecting with what that is for us like what is your 10 year old dream that if you allowed yourself to um believe it for a second like what would that picture and generate that rich imagery like of what's possible for you and i think you're from when you were 10 years old all the way through your journey you've embodied that courage to dream and the courage to think about what what if it went right (laughs) like you know what if there's a small chance that it actually could go right and I think that that mindset of betting on yourself creating really rich imagery and um and leaning into the possibility exploring the possibility of what could go right Mm. I think that is such a powerful message for us all to ask ourselves that question of like what could what could happen if things went right yeah and not knowing that it's going to but leaning in and exploring it anyway and i think time and time again whatever you've been faced with you've chosen to show up and lean back into what could go right next Mm. you know it's another four years well what if i make the next olympics like i'm gonna do it and see and then to get back up and do it again and so that resilience for you to keep coming back i think is so connected to your willingness to generate that rich imagery of possibility um and that hope and the ability to believe in yourself and to back yourself knowing that you can't control the outcome but you're going to show up and explore what's possible and so it sounds like you're really driven by exploring what is possible for you and I, I think for all of us, you know, like just thinking about what what really matters in life and to, to you, what really, what lights you up, what, what is passion to you and having the courage to explore what, what's possible with that, through that. And with starting the Love Mercy Foundation on as a result of not making an, an Olympics, right? If you didn't try to make the Olympics, you wouldn't have met Julius, mm. you know? And to me, that says so much about that what is possible for us if we um, if we just give it a shot, you know? And, and the, the dream and the image of success that we have in our minds is not necessarily what's going to happen, but by choosing to honestly show up and, and give, and, and pursue what feels what you know is right for you based mm. on what you feel um to pursue that 
doors greater than those that you've come up with and your dream and image of, of success can actually open. And I, I think that's what you really exemplify is that willingness to lean in um, with, with great faith that, you know, if you follow what feels right, that there's a bigger picture that, that could happen. And um, your, your story shows, you know, that just what is possible when we do that. Um, and I think one of your superpowers is your ability to feel and use emotion. You don't run away from the, the, the real human feelings of disappointment when you're, you don't meet your expectations or, you know, you, you fall short of those somehow. You really sit in the emotion of it. Like you, you're, you're able to feel it, but you don't get stuck there. And it's like you're by really showing up and allowing yourself to feel the emotion of, of, of what's happening, you're able to then turn that emotion into the lesson that helps you move forward next time. And you shared about some, some instances of that, but I, it sounds like in everything, you know, failure is a part of um, growth. You know, there's a great saying in, in psychology that human growth is a two steps forward, one step back process, you know, mm-hmm. and to feel the pain of disappointment is a part of being able to, to um, take the lesson from it, choose to show up again and move forward. And so with all of this, you do really capture like the power of purpose with, with your, the way you go about it. You know, I don't think it's any surprise that as soon as running became about something far bigger than you, that the results started to happen and it's almost like the more loosely you held on to the outcome the more freedom you felt to um, fully express and explore what was possible for you and you know the results from them speak for themselves and also you know you found greater joy in pursuing it with that purpose beyond yourself and with that freedom to explore your potential so i think just you know those few those things there really capture such important lessons for us all to explore um and for today eloise that's what's right within you so thank <laughs> Thanks, you Rory. thank you for uh, for sharing so so honestly about um yeah your journey the ups and downs and um really excited for what's possible with this podcast yeah yeah me too and thanks i you know obviously i'm encouraged but i hope um everyone listening um you're encouraged by i i I guess hearing the key learnings of of what rory said in his wrap-up and you know key learnings from from my story and and yeah finding out and discovering more about what's right within you and so to wrap this episode my challenge to you as a listener today is based on um, what we've talked about with Eloise is to allow yourself just five minutes to think freely about what is possible for you if everything went right. See where that takes you. Thanks. It's good. See you next time. See you next time.